God, our Father, we thank you so much for uh, you being alive today. We thank you that you have words for us of encouragement. You're also a God of great power. And we just ask you to, this morning to open your word that we might walk in uh, the fullness of your power and your presence. So Holy Spirit, will you visit us and will you minister to us? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. There was a uh, phrase that somebody said that is becoming, I suppose, part of the passion of my heart for church. And the phrase is... um, What is the phrase? Christianity should be an explanation, uh, should not be an explanation void of an experience, but rather an experience that demands an explanation. Christianity should not be an explanation void of an experience, but rather an experience that demands an explanation. And if in fact you read the scriptures and you read the New Testament, you'll find that principle is actually the core through the whole reading of the New Testament. That God met people in Jesus and by His Spirit with such impact and with such transformation in their lives that they spent the rest of their lives trying to make sense of it. And they changed the world. And one of the greatest deceptions that's taken place in the church is to turn that around. So that now you spend all your life attending things and having so few experiences that there's little to talk about. And I believe God wants to say, let me turn it back again to what it's meant to be. Wouldn't that be cool? Wouldn't you like more of that? Not really? Would you like to know God and see Him touch your heart and life and see Him work through you in the lives of others with greater confidence that you didn't have to struggle to say, what do you mean I know God is real? Let me tell you about this. Let me tell you about how He healed me of this or how when I prayed over that person they were healed. Christianity is an encountering experiential walk with the living God. It's what it's meant to be. It's not meant to be a long, slow walk through words. It's not meant to be Jesus walking along the road with us and never impacting us and never changing us. And all we do is say, meet Jesus, my friend, but he's totally ineffective. It's meant to be about me following Jesus into the life that he has called and prepared for me to live if I so choose to walk with him. And so, Father, I want to declare over this group today a vision for what you call us to be that is so much more than we can ask or imagine even now. And I pray that you open ears and eyes and hearts to the more that you have. And I pray against those attitudes or those places where in our spirits we have just actually settled down and said, this is my lot in life. And we pray that you will break through into new places for us today. Mark 4, I read and have read for the last two weeks. I'm going to read it again. It's Jesus calming the storm uh, and he's in a boat with his disciples. And we're talking about the presence of God and God being present and the, in, and the difference God's presence makes. John, uh, Mark chapter 4 from verse 34. 
That day when evening came, Jesus said to his disciples, Let us go over to the other side. And leaving the crowd behind, they took him along just as he was in the boat. And there were also other boats with him. A furious squall came up, and the waves broke over the boats that it was nearly swamped. Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. The disciples woke him and said to him, Teacher, don't you care if we drown? And he got up and rebuked the wind and said to the waves, Quiet and be still. Then the wind died down and it was completely calm. And he said to his disciples, Why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? And they were terrified and asked each other, Who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. Christianity should be an explanation, should not be an explanation void of an experience, but rather an experience that demands an explanation. As men in the boat, in the same boat we've talked about for two weeks, men in a boat in a place that they were very, very familiar with, in a circumstance they were very familiar with, and got caught in this freak storm that maybe they weren't so familiar with, and they panicked. Twelve men in a boat with Jesus. And Jesus is asleep at the back of the boat. And their immediate conclusion, before anything's been spoken, is panic and is frustration. Jesus, don't you care that we panic? And Jesus obviously maybe was saying, not really. To some degree. Because they were looking at their circumstances and they were freaking out. And Jesus looked really at peace in the midst of the chaos. Because he was sleeping confident and his father has a purpose for him and it's certainly not drowning in Galilee tonight. And so he rested in that. And the presence of Jesus in that chaos looked like it wasn't doing anything. And maybe it didn't need to do anything. He just said, ride out the chaos. Don't worry. Be at peace. Enjoy the storm. Maybe there's a time for that. But they bugged him and so eventually he got up and he said, why are you so afraid? Why, what's wrong with your faith? And then he says, be still. And he calms the storm with one word or four words and demonstrates the authority that he has. The authority over the natural. Saying that God, the God that is in him is God of all things, or creation. All things will bow before him. And this great God that was manifest in this little six-foot man demonstrated his power with a word. Because where God is present, you don't need lots of hype, you need authority. You need confidence in who God is. And so you have this paradox, these, these contrasts going on in the, in, the, in the chaos. There's panic and there's rest. There's helplessness and there's power. There's confusion and there's an incredible clarity about identity. In the same boat, in the same circumstance, very different responses. And that's why Jesus used to say to his disciples, he said, the kingdom of heaven is within you. 
And you'll have two people in exactly the same place and very different things will happen. All depending on the kingdom being released, present. The kingdom is present everywhere. Just like electricity was present, the potential for electricity has always been present. The, pre- the, the potential for computers has always been present from the beginning of time. From the guy who crawled out the cave, theoretically could have made a computer. But the knowledge and the ability and the whole means, so all the resources have always been the same. And it's those who tap into the resources that see the, re- the changes. And God came in Jesus to say, Let me show you what you have and who I am and you will see transformation. And God's presence looks very peaceful very often. It's very the power of God does not need shouting. The power of God does not need drama. The power of God is an authority that comes from a confidence in who he is for you and who he is Around the circ- in the circumstances around you and you look at uh, Saul's life and I often quote Saul because he's such a dra- dramatic contrast where Saul is this uh, young, educated uh, passionate, religious uh, student leader being groomed for leadership in the Jewish culture and the Jewish church and he's, he's, he's the blue-eyed boy of the people of his day he's studied under Gamaliel he's, been very, he's got good credentials he's the kind of guy you would get used to get things done he's passionate, he's eloquent, he's bright and he gets stuff done and he was commissioned by the Jewish leadership to go and deal with this Christian movement that was beginning to spread and he said I'll do anything you want because I'm for God And for God, I'll do anything. And so for God, from his perception, he would do anything. And he went off to basically crush the early Christian church. And he dragged people into prison. Children, boys and girls, men and women. And probably was responsible for killing more than one. We read in Acts the time where he held the cloaks of the men who stoned Stephen, who is the first Christian martyr. It is very likely that, that that death of Stephen impacted Paul, Saul. Because when Stephen died, he said, don't hold this against him. Saul experienced the courage of a Christian dying. Stephen might have said, my whole life, here it is, and now I'm outside a city or a town being stoned by the people who I know for what I believe in. What a waste of a life. If he were to appear among us now, he said, that was a pretty cool meaning for my life. I just happened to have been the one who God used to arrest Saul, turn him into Paul, and write the scriptures for all eternity. It's because of my courage. In the big scheme of things, his life takes on a totally different meaning. God's ways are not our ways. God is a confusing God. God is not always logical or rational. And he's not scared of chaos And so we thought last week where Jesus comes and says, Peace I give to you. And then on another occasion he says, "Um, I have not come to bring peace, I've come to bring the sword. Because he said and he knew that his message would bring conflict. If you walked out in this city right now or any city in North America and said, because of Jesus Christ we're going to abolish Halloween, you would be crucified. 
So instead of being crucified, I go, ah, just partying tricks. Phew, got out of that one. Every major Christian festival in North America has been taken over. You know that as well as I do. Santa Claus, the Easter Bunny, and Halloween. It's why it doesn't have a strong witness to the power of God. And I think God calls us to say, does that matter? Do you want to change that? The way it changes is beginning to start inside me. How we do it is different. I don't think there's much point in haranguing North America for those festivals. I think it's far more important to stand up and show a difference that causes people to go, that pumpkin really is a hollow pumpkin. Maybe there's more to life than that. And so Saul's transformation from this passionate, zealous, uh, violent man ended when he hit the Damascus Road and Jesus said, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? He had an experience of the living God. I think I've told you before, I had a godfather. In fact, there's somebody in... Uh, I had a godfather who's a, who's, a, who's a doctor in Peter Maritzburg in South Africa who at 50, say 55... Uh, was awake one night, fell in, uh, found himself on his knees in his bathroom after having said Christianity is psychobabble for years to a guy who would come and visit him. He found himself on his knees saying Jesus is Lord. He was absolutely convicted. And his life was changed. I mean, I met him, I to- he told me. For the next 25 years, he was passionately for Jesus. He had an experience that the intellect couldn't work out. And there's a couple actually from South Africa in Parksville and he was their doctor, believe it or not. They said, oh, John, I think we know him. And they, he was their doctor. He operated on the guy, Cliff and Lynn Wardle. And so Paul, when he writes to Ephesians 20 years later, he's got a very, very different attitude. And it's a very well-known phrase, but just let's quickly look at Ephesians chapter 3. Because... Uh, I'm talking about the presence of God and the power of God. And if you're like me, I need a lot more talking to to really step into an expectation of more. In Ephesians 3, this is Saul, the one who's been on the Damascus Road. He spent 15 years possibly being groomed, being uh, mentored, uh, working some of these things out. It's not quick. Saul's gone deep. He's gone deep in rebellion and he goes deep into being redeemed. And he says, for this reason, verse 14 of chapter 3 of Ephesians, I kneel before the Father from whom his whole family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you being rooted and established in love may have power together with all the saints to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that means experience that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we can ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Paul has got an incredible appreciation for God's power, God's presence, God being able to do what he cannot do. 
from a man who has had an enormous appreciation for his intellect and for the power of the human resources. He came with documents. He came with the power of the institution behind him to, to deal with the church. And Jesus, all he did was appear once and it changed him forever. All of that authority just fell and melted. In the revelation of who God truly is, it just melted. And Saul was done as a Jewish leader. He was blind for three days and a little unknown man comes and lays hands on him with terror. And what happens? His eyes are healed, he can see again and he begins to be used by God to be one of the cornerstones of Christian Christendom. God took that intellect, redeemed it, renewed it. And now he says, the power of God is like this. He says, I kneel before the Father. I no longer strut my intellect. My starting point as I pray is I kneel before the Father. God is not just a vague God, a power, an intellectual exercise. I kneel before the Father. His posture is one of weakness and humility, of adoration and a relationship with a personal God. I knew before the Father from whom his whole family in heaven and on earth derives its name. He's got a great picture of God, a great understanding of God. He's the Father of all. I wonder how big your God is and my God is at times. I wonder how quickly we get defeated. I wonder how quickly we think, well, God can't cope with that. Your biggest challenge is God's probably smallest worry. In the sense of he can say, I can deal with that. Anything, I mean, I believe if Jesus were here, he'd say, bring it on, show me, what's your problem? I'm here for you. What's weighing you down right now? What do you mean you're defeated by that? What do you mean you've given up on that? Why? Do you know how big I am? Do you know what I can do? How big is God? How big is God for you this morning? Do you kneel before the Father or do you whine? What happens if he says, I, I love you, I adore you, I hear you. My issue with you has got nothing to do with the intellect. My issue with you has to do with the heart. And when I have a conversation with you, and you have a conversation with me, and you in truth kneel before me, the issue is going to be one of what Cheryl declared. I, w- I desire you to be rubble, which means that you come to terms with your brokenness. Rubble that hasn't come to terms with brokenness is rebel. Most of us are not allowing God to go further than suits us in our definition of that. The hardest people to move into a greater revelation of God are people who have been in churches for a long time. Because we've settled. We've learned how to balance this thing out. Not accusing, I'm just declaring. You know it's true. And God says, I want to take you further. It's not about understanding, it's about a heart desire. Well, I don't want to go further because I'm quite comfortable with my life right now. All right? Then I'm not as big as you think, you, you, de- you declare. You, I, I'm actually part of the God in the box that we've talked about. And God wants to rise up and say, I want to be Lord of this church. 
I want to be Lord of your life. There is much, much more that I can do if we could get your head out of the way. Not because it's not important, it just needs to be redeemed. The way you redeem the head is not re-educating it. Because you can only re-educate the head with somebody else's head educating that head and you have heads going on together. The only way that you can re-educate a mind is to change a heart that transforms a mind. And that's why the heart is so important. And so Paul says, uh, so that I pray that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. This is the guy with the intellect. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. That you being rooted and established in love may have power to, to comprehend all the stuff that's not comprehensible. And that's how Paul works. He walks, he's been transformed from his heart. I bet you when he was lying on the Damascus road, he went, oh my, have I ever been wrong? He's blind and he's totally backed the wrong horse. He's now totally empty. He's got nothing to argue about because he's just come face to face with God. So unless there's mercy, he is dead. And what does he experience? He has three days of helplessness, which is the first time in his life, no doubt, that he's ever been helpless. He's blind. He's humiliated among his people. We've never seen Saul like this. And he's led into Damascus. And he doesn't eat or drink for three days because he's totally shocked. Because he's met God. The God that he was so confident about, the God that he spoke for with such passion, arrogance and, and intellect, has turned out not to be quite like he thought he was. And it absolutely arrests him. And one of the things that is maybe helpful sometimes for us to do is to walk with Saul into Damascus and think about my attitude in terms of have I got God all figured out or have I come to a place of experiencing who he really is and you know what we can do that we can just say Lord I want to know you in a deeper way Sometimes it's dramatic, sometimes it's gentle. For me it was gentle. It was standing in chapters after rebelling, 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 rebelling. I wouldn't have called it rebelling. I would have called it anger. I would have called it frustration. I would have called it disillusionment. I would never have called it rebellion. And it started, at, I remember standing before the Christian book, books in, in chapters and beginning to say, I want to read something after six years of not. And I remember the, the, the feeling of like, I wrote a poem in my sort of depression years of, of, of sailors that can smell the land before they've, they can see the land, they can smell the vegetation before they can see anything. And that's what I felt. I felt I was smelling something of God before I could see him. And that began a redeeming process that had ebbs and flows, but most of the time it was a pretty strong tug. And so, personally, I know what it's like to rebel against God. I know what it's like to be broken. I know what it's like to walk away and say, no, God. 
And I know the, the destruction. I know the brokenness of it all. And I know the mercy of God who never gives up and who never says, no, you're too far gone. It's confusing. I don't have all the answers. I just know experientially a God who loved me at my worst place and who took everything I had to throw at him and really it was almost irrelevant and who redeems and continues to redeem and I praise him for that. And so it's the, the heart that's changed that releases the passion. And what I, want to, what I believe God's inviting us into this morning is, is presence and power. When uh, Isaiah wrote in 55, Isaiah 55, it's a beautiful, beautiful passage. Um, he speaks about God's word. It's often quoted um, as a, you know, God's word will never come back to him void. God's, it's, it's, uh, I'll read from verse, I can't read here, verse 8. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. As the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return to it without watering the earth and making it bud and flourish, so that it yields seed for the sower and bread for the eater, so is my word that goes out from my mouth. It will not return to me empty, but will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. And then he says, you will go out with joy. Why is that important? If you go back to the beginning of Genesis, this is going to tie up. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. The Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And God said, let there be light. And God said, let there be an expanse between the waters to separate water. And God said, let the water under the sky be gathered. And God said, let the land produce vegetation. And God said, let there be lights in the expanse of the sky to separate the day from the night. And after each one, if you read that through, it says, and it was so. And God said, let the waters teem. All his creation was, and God said. God's, the Spirit hovered, God spoke, and things changed. There is something about declaring words that are from God that bring about change on the earth. That's what's something that I'm beginning to appreciate and learn. You declare the truth of God out loud and things change. Because you're dealing with a, a, a fallen world, you're dealing with a world that is actually captured by the evil one, the prince of darkness. So when you walk into... One of the things that I've told you many times, I'll say it again because it's so powerful for me. When I was in my rebellion and in my darkness, I got this picture of being in Egypt. And I got this picture of being in Egypt and I was a slave again. And I felt like a slave. There was no hope. There was anger. There was just despair. There was struggle, 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 struggle. And there was this voice that came and whispered to me and said, What are you doing here? This was after I started reading, actually. I started beginning to go, God, where are you? He said, what are you doing here? And he said, open up your shirt. And I was wearing slave clothes. And I opened up my shirt and there was this big Superman emblem. I love this story. 
It sort of attests me that builds me every time I mention it. It reminds me. There's a big Superman emblem on my chest. And God said to me, you've forgotten who you are. You've forgotten who you are. You are my son. You are my child. You're an heir of the kingdom. What are you doing here? You've been taken captive. You were in the promised land. Now you're here. Why? And he said, get up and walk out of here. And it was very clear. He said, if you know your identity, you will walk with an authority that you haven't walked in for seven years. But the people around you, which are the demonic realm, the ones that are trying to keep you down, who have looked so big, will shrink. And it's exactly what happened. As soon as I saw it, it, it's like I rose up inside. And I had a sense of destiny and a sense of authority. And I got up and I walked in my spirit. And then I walked physically in the direction that we're still walking in. But there was a change. And I was so fed up with having got caught in it. But he said, identity and authority is the absolute core of victory in this world knowing who you are and knowing the authority that you have in Jesus will set you free we're spending way too much time sitting around the slave camps trying to make the slave experience better rather than saying you're not called to have a better experience in the slave camp you're called to the promised land you're called to a new place, a new person. You're not called to be caring for one another in your sin. You're not called to be being allies to one another in your rebellion. You're called to repent. You're called to change. You're called to say, God, forgive me. You're called to the Savior that you might experience His love and His power. He hasn't just called us to be a nursery here. He hasn't just called us to say, Jesus, give me some nice worship and thank you that you love me. He says, yeah, that's cool, but there's a bit work to do. There are many, many people out here carving pumpkins and that's all they know. I want my people to rise up, to be warriors. That's why I've called you. That's why you're here. That's why Jericho Road is in this building. This building is the vision of God to take ground. This building is symbolic of a vision of God that is beyond your understanding or my comprehension. Stretches my faith way beyond anything I've ever seen before. And his he's comment to you and me is, are you going to rise up for action? Or how long is this going to take? Is two hours a week too much to ask of you? Are you so busy? I mean, I'm, I'm speaking real blunt and I wasn't even going here this morning. What I'm saying is, and I'm stirred up by it, is it, what I'm saying is, God's saying, now is the time, now is the time, now is the time. We've prayed for four years for God to work and break open something. He says, good, I'm doing it. And I go, but I'm busy. I've got plans. You know, I want to get through this and I want to do this and I want to do that and I want to do the other thing. And uh, could you come back maybe in April? I'm absolutely serious. God is calling us to action now. Search your heart. Search your mind. Search your life right now and go, are you willing to stand up and make this happen? Or are you going to say, John's getting hysterical. I don't like the way he's speaking. 
I'm not ready for this. I've got other things. It's really insensitive. I wish you'd shut up right now. God is God. He never comes at a convenient time. He never sets things in motion in a convenient time. We can always rationalize out why we shouldn't respond. We can always find reasons. We can find precedents in the past. We can find reasons all over the place. Ultimately, God just says, I want to establish my kingdom in your heart and life, and I want to establish it in this place. Can I use you? No questions asked. You want to picture, so the word of God declaring. If you've got struggles in your life like I have, if you've got struggles in your life, start declaring, Jesus, your Lord, thank you that you love me, and thank you that we're going to do something about it. Because I am so tired of struggling under this as a victim. You just do that this morning and your life will change. You've got to speak to your will. Don't try and educate it, speak to it. Call it into submission. Call it into obedience. And you will see something change, particularly if you have the humility to walk with other people. Right? That's meant to be encouraging. How do you think the disciples learnt about the power of God and the presence of God in the boat or anywhere else? They had those reactions. They, had, they were terrified, but they were stuck in a boat with Jesus, so they had to work it out. And the only way they knew how to work it out was going, Grief! I'm panicking! And Jesus says, Okay, you're panicking. Why don't you... He wasn't really angry with them. And he dealt with the situation. They probably talked all the way back to the shore. He said, What was that about? They experienced him. They experienced him because they couldn't think their way through that. Nothing that the disciples really changed their hearts and lives was in their heads. It was in relational heart working out. And that's what you and I are invited into. And Peter comes to the gate in Acts 3, very famous, the gate beautiful, and he walks past there with John. That's the heritage out of which he comes and eventually says to this man who's crippled, He says, I don't have silver and gold. But what I have, I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ, get up and walk. Maybe silver and gold is what's causing you to get stuck. Maybe it's too much chasing after silver and gold so you don't have time to be used by God because there's too much silver and gold. Maybe it's time to say, Lord, you can have my silver and gold. I'm going to give you time. I'm going to give you my heart. I'm going to trust you with that. don't know. Jesus called the twelve together, and he gave them power and authority to drive out demons and to cure diseases, and he sent them out to preach the kingdom of God and heal the sick. You'd come across this before. Jesus said, pray for the sick, didn't he? No, he didn't. Jesus said, heal the sick. He actually didn't say pray. He said, heal. When he's commissioning, he said, heal. And he said, when you speak my word, healing will come. Why? He seemed to have this idea that he had authority. And he seemed to have this idea that he went around healing the sick and he could impart that to others who called themselves his disciples. And he said, "Um, what I did, you can do. I want you to go out and heal the sick because healing is a really good proclamation of my word. 
And I used to say, well, God, you know, it was easy for you because you could heal people and they would be impressed and then they would say, I want to know Jesus and now I don't see any of that, so it's much harder. And he says, well, it doesn't have to be. It's only harder because you've minimized my commission. It's only harder because you've quenched my spirit. It's only harder because your mind rules. It's only harder because you're more comfortable trying to persuade people through the quality of your broken life that I am Lord. And he says, my power is greater than that. And so his commission, if you look through the ends of the Gospels, all of them are about authority and power and the expectation of supernatural signs and wonders. I was so encouraged when somebody said, and it's something I was listening to the other day, because I go, Lord, why don't we see more? And the guy said, you know, you ask, why don't you see more? And he said, it's supernatural. He says, if you take the natural away from super, all you have is the super, the super of God, and you wait and you pray for the super of God. But God always wants to work with the natural. So you bring the natural, and he will bring the super. It made sense to me. So he says, you walk as far as you can naturally, which is bring people to Jesus and declare his lordship and leave the rest to him. But if you never do that, you'll never see the super part. Do you understand what I'm saying? Sometimes you can spiritualize it, but you never make that bridge. And God chooses to use human beings to release his power and his presence. So I want to finish with... So my, what am I trying to say? I'm trying to say I think there's a lot more. I think, I'm trying to say God is powerful. I'm, saying, I'm trying to say when God is present, things happen. I'm so, trying to say that God's, trans, God's spirit transforms when, they, when he meets our spirits. And if our expectation isn't for transformation, we won't see it. I'm trying to say that unless we stir up in us a desire for more, we will never see more. I'm trying to say that our spirits are naturally rebellious, not rubble. That our spirits, however long we've been Christian, always rise up and want to settle. And God always wants to break open and says, no, I'm not finished yet. There is far more than you can ask or imagine. So whenever you've finished asking, jump another wherever you can because you can't see it. And if you want to see whether there's a pulse in your life that is exciting, if your life is passionate about Jesus and you can't wait to sort of share him and you can't wait to see how he wants to use you, that's a symptom of God's spirit beginning to bubble up inside you, like Paul saying, like an artesian well. If, on the other hand, your life is so organized and orchestrated that you just work out when God has time to give, it's probably a sign of that thing's freezing over. Now you can call it everything else, but that's the truth. And even when you're getting ticked off with me for saying it, you know it, right? It's just the way it is. Life is life is life is life is life. What does the church look like? I got this passage two days ago. And this doesn't happen to me very often, but when this passage landed on my desk, something rose up in me. And I didn't know what to do with it. And part of me was afraid of it, and part of me was excited by it. I'm more excited than afraid of what the church should be like. It's a well-known passage, but I absolutely know that God has this for us to walk into. Luke 13.
Jesus, uh, where is it? Jesus 13, verse 10. On a Sabbath, Jesus was teaching in one of the synagogues. And a woman was there who had been crippled by a spirit for 18 years. She was bent over and could not straighten up at all. When Jesus saw her, he called her forward and said to her, Woman, you are set free from your infirmity. And then he put his hands on her, and immediately she straightened up and praised God. I think that's a vision for the church. Can you imagine that picture? Jesus is speaking, there's a woman over there. She's been coming for years. She's well known. He says, come. And she starts hobbling and took a long time to get there. And they wonder, what's he going to do? And he rebukes the spirit of infirmity over her. And then he lays his hand on her and she rises. What do you think happened there that day? That encounter is worth how many years of teaching? How many years of study? Do you think that woman might have gone back to a friend and said, well, I've got to attend a a three-month evangelism course before I can tell you what happened? Or do you think she went and said, that Jesus, he called me up in front of everyone. Look at me. And he smiled and he probably hugged her and said, it's just my dad said he loves you like that. And he's so sorry that you had to come to the synagogue every week for 18 years like that and nobody could do anything about it. You see, there are many, many churches where the cripples come and go and they hear the stories and they stay crippled. It's the church I'm more comfortable with because we know when the sermon ends we know what songs we sing it's time for coffee at 12 and the cripples come and go crippled but they know God loves them and they have a community that will support them and at their funerals we stand and say how courageous they were as they bore the cross that seem to be theirs and God the Father stands and says oh my people you have no idea what I had for that person who I could have set free in your midst if you would believe that I am the risen God I am much much bigger than you are I am much greater I am much more able I don't know about you, but that's what I want. I don't understand it. I'm speaking way beyond my experience. But I agree with John Wimber, who years ago said, you don't speak about your experience. You speak about what God's Word says, and you pray for your your experience to grow into that place and come in alignment. This is what a commentary said on that passage. I believe the story gives us a picture of many people today. 
Their disability may not be manifested physically, as was the case with this woman, but their lives have been twisted and bowed down because of Satan's strategies. It might be the aftermath of the crippling power of drugs or alcohol. It might be debilitating depression and discouragement. It may be rejection or loneliness. It might be fear or torment in their thoughts. It could be the painful results of physical, emotional, or sexual abuse. It may even be the twisting power of the curses of the occult. Whatever its source, their only hope is freedom from the enemy's grasp by the living word of Jesus. Now listen to this. But once the spiritual bondage of sin and darkness has been broken, many people are still in need of healing from the damage to their lives the devil has wrought that has resulted in their brokenness. The hand of the devil upon their life resulted in their lives being distorted and has left them handicapped. People must experience the hand of Jesus from which flows the power of God releasing blessing which will ultimately produce a changed life. I have come to believe that even though Satan hates it when a person hears the word of God, believes it and receives salvation, that is not his biggest concern. He is not concerned if a person is born again and goes to heaven when they die, as long as he can keep them twisted, powerless and bowed down before they live, while they live their lives in this world. As long as people are broken, they are powerless and never a threat to Satan's kingdom. And his comment was, Jesus had to lay hands on that woman and straighten her out. When we had uh, the time of reconciliation, some people, who, whose idea was this? Marianne and Lynn, all right, we'll share this. What happens, maybe there was a prophetic element to that. This is the crippled woman. This is the crippled woman. What happens if, I don't know, you know, this is meant to be that straight and out but it's only straightened out when there is power flowing in it it's only straightened out when the, this, the breath fills it and people are saying more and more that you, the reason why we didn't, don't see more breakthrough is because we need to have follow through which means that we need to carry on walking with Jesus into the fullness of what he has so we are praying just now for God to set us free and you go, well, nothing happened and you go home and you leave that alone. You go, something happens. It's walking into the fullness of that. That's why we need encouragement. That's why we need repeated pouring out of the Holy Spirit to strengthen us and straighten us out. That's God's power. And that's why I'm trying to say that every time we gather together, we need to... to long for times where we say Lord how do you want to minister to us today how do you want to straighten me out that's his desire his desire isn't for us to be a church of people who just come and listen to me talking God forbid his desire is for you and me to be set on fire so that we bring people come and see come and see come and experience the living God. So two things happened when Jesus 
met with that woman. He noticed her. And he called her out and he said to her, and, and he spoke against the spirit of infirmity. Spirit of infirmity is part of what Satan does. It's a, everything's energized in life. You know that, don't you? Everything's energized. It's either energized under the spirit of darkness or it's energized under the spirit of light. It's why when you make resolutions for things, there's an energy behind us. Oh, I can't keep that. Oh, I, you know, how do I kick that habit? It's because there's an energy to it as well as a habit. And God came to say, I will give you the power to overcome what you can't naturally overcome. But what I need from you is I need the cripples to come, as I call them. God is speaking to every single person here about something in your life. He's not speaking in any anger whatsoever. He's not angry. He's not surprised. He didn't go, oh, I didn't see that in you. What a secret. Oh, my word. He's not surprised because he knows it. So his love and the presence of his spirit right here, right now, is speaking to each of us about things that we may be defeated or He's speaking to some of us about conditions in our lives or habits in our lives or physical ailments in our lives that we've grown to just accept as normal. And he's speaking to us over the voice of the one that says, oh, you've been down this road many times, you've asked for prayer many times, don't do it this time. And he's, he's saying, you press in with me. Because I want to give you experiences of my power that will transform your life. Because my walking with me is meant to be easy. It's meant to be deeply experiential. Why would you have a deeply experiential marriage that keeps yourself alive and have a dead relationship with God? Why would you settle for something with me that you wouldn't settle on the human plane? Why do you keep on saying it's okay to have a lukewarm relationship with me or a distant one and think that's satisfying either to you or to me? There's so much more. But he's not angry. He's just wanting more of you. He's not angry at all. He's just looking at you and me and going, well, you've got some life in you, but man, Jesus rose completely for all of you. I can give you more. And maybe many of you are like Cheryl. I don't want to. Well, I do, but I don't. Well, that's a good response, as you've heard witness to. So I think God wants to do two things among us. I think the one is um, for us to learn how to declare over our lives and one another the authority of Jesus over Satan, which is renouncing the principalities and powers. And then I think he also wants to fill us with his spirit, straighten us out, straighten us up. I had a prophetic word two years ago by Sandra when she was with Janice Sini. I, I, I'm saying this because I have, to, I have to push myself right now. I'm being absolutely transparent. It would be easier for me to close with a, a prayer and then just go, let's sing a song now by the healer. But one of the words spoken over me was, um, you're going to want to have explanations for everything. And God's sometimes going to say, you're just going to have to walk. And I don't always have an explanation. I'm not always going to give it to you. So my default now would be to back off, right? 
as is probably yours. Like, let's just back off now and go home. Let's not get too carried away here, right? Or, to hell with that. Let's stand up and renounce evil, shall we? And let's step into what God has. I think that's far, far more what he, he intends for us, don't you? You don't have to. I'm not forcing you at all. But if this is true, and the risen Lord Jesus is here among us, and he loves us, it's a really important place for us to start, or at least to come back to again and again, which is, he loves us enough to start saying, come on, we're not going to settle for this. I'm getting bored with it, and you look bored with it, so... So let's together, let's start off by declaring that Jesus is Lord over our lives. Um, let's declare, uh, now I'm going to suggest that we just, may, I, I don't know whether I should lead you in something, it's, it's, or we just all speak out. But let's, let's do a bit of both. Um, so you follow me for now. Father, we uh, thank you for your presence. And we declare Jesus as Lord in this place. And we declare his victory on the cross. That Satan is defeated. And that he has no authority or power over my life. And in the name of Jesus, I renounce all spiritual powers that might be active in my life that will not bow to Jesus as Lord. And, and Jesus, I give you permission to be Lord of my whole life and to help me enter into the fullness of my inheritance. Now you speak to the Lord about what you really want. There's something in you right now that God is wanting to touch. There's something that you know about. And he's coming before you right now. And I'm, I, and I'm just saying this with a passionate plea. He's saying, my child, I'll help you there. I love you. I am not angry with you. I know you feel defeated in this area. I've, I know you feel like you've done this many times. But you come to me today and you give that to me. And you ask me to help you. And I promise you I will. And you just give that to him in your spirit right now. Nobody else can do it for you. Only you can do it with Jesus. And Jesus, I pray that your spirit will descend upon each human being here right now and that you will just minister your love and your presence and your authority. I, I release the authority of Jesus over our lives. The authority to go deeper, to go further than we've ever been before. And we speak against the spirit of affliction. I speak against the spirit of affliction over any lives or bodies here in the name of Jesus. And I break your power over bodies, lives, hearts, addictions in the name of Jesus. We command it to be broken with the authority of Jesus Christ as Lord. Satan, you have no authority over this body. We declare you are defeated at the cross. And I speak to the roots of addictions, to the roots of despair, to the roots of disease, to the roots of long-standing physical illness. We break its power where it has roots in the, in the evil and we command it to loosen and to be broken in the name of Jesus Christ. 
And we thank you, Jesus, that it doesn't mean I have to shout. It doesn't mean we have to jump up and down. It means you have given authority. And so we, we, we covenant with one another. We agree with one another that we have no power in ourselves. But in Jesus, we are giants. And in Jesus, we have enormous resources. And so we call on the resources of heaven to release healing into bodies. And so this other part is what we're moving into which is, you make sure you just tell Jesus specifically something that you're wanting victory over or you want a healing for. And you just say, thank you that you take that. Thank you, Lord. Press in because you want an experience of Him, not because you're looking for it, but because He loves you and you need experiences of His love and His grace. Don't settle for your life right now. Don't settle for the less than He has. Give Him whatever you struggle with. Get angry with it. Get frustrated with it. Get passionate about it. Stir it up in you and say, I'm done with this. I'm sick of this. So Jesus, I, now we're going to blow in like that little toy and ask him to straighten out. All right. And you ask him to straighten you out in whatever area that you brought him this morning and you go, oh my, I didn't even think I was going here today. Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit right now will release power to straighten us out. Straighten us out in that area where we're crippled. Straighten us out in that area where we've been bowed down and defeated. I pray the power of the risen Lord Jesus, straighten us out. Thank you that you who 2,000 years ago ministered to a crippled woman who felt herself to be forgotten. I thank you that you can minister to us in the same way. Thank you that you're not passing anyone by in this room. And I pray that the the words of Jesus in our hearts and ears now will be louder and more secure and more powerful in the words of doubt and despair that we have believed for years and years and years. In the name of Jesus, I speak over lies. I command lies to die at the cross and I speak truth of the love and the power of Jesus and the hope for a future. We bless what you're doing. Put your hands on the shoulders of the people next to you or hold hands and bless what God's Spirit is doing in them. Because we can't do this all together, but just bless God's Spirit. Bless what God's doing in the person next to you. Just say, Lord, more of you, more of you, more of you. I just bless what your Spirit is doing in my brother or my sister. Bless them. Straighten them out, Lord. Just fill them up with hope. Fill them up with joy. Fill them up with healing. Press into it. Press into it. Bless what God is doing. Thank you, Father, so much for your grace and your mercy. Thank you for your life and your power. Thank you that you're not finished with us. And so, Holy Spirit, release among us the fullness of all that you have. We speak your word of life over this place. We speak your word, Lord, over this place. We pray for you to release your favor over this place, that we would have people to rent it, that it will be a symbol of your testimony of love and care for this body. We pray for victory. We pray that you're going to sell dogwood and all the things that we're worried about right now. We just entrust them to you as part of our need for healing and faith growing. We pray that you release ministry among us and in us. There's some of us here where God is wanting to release ministry releasing gifts of his spirit, releasing healing, releasing prophetic words, releasing all kinds of ministry. Just say to him, Lord, release in me what you have because I want to count for you. I want to be a warrior for you. You can use me. I'm not just a bit of rubble. 
I'm actually a profoundly valuable piece of your kingdom. So step into what he has for you. Don't tell him what you think he should do. Don't tell him what he th- you think he should do or how you, he can use you. Humble yourself as, at, like with Saul and just kneel before the Father and say, Father, here I am. I want to be used by you. I want to build your kingdom in this place. You can have my heart. You can have my time. You can have my, my money. You can have everything about me, my intellect. I want to be used. So, Father, I thank you so much that you love this. You you absolutely love this. You love breathing your spirit over your people and saying, there's more. So, Holy Spirit, as we we worship now, as as we, because we're still stuck in our timelines, as we we just uh, wind this up, we pray that you won't wind this up at all. You'll blow this apart with your spirit this week. I pray that you release dreams and visions and experiences in this week that will be amazing. So we bless you, we thank you, we worship you, that your word when it is spoken, when it is, where, it is, where it is proclaimed, has power to change forever. And so we, we adopt now, Lord, a position of thanksgiving to you. Thank you that you are faithful. We bless you, we praise you, we worship you. And as we worship now, we're going to sing the song Healing. Let's just receive it. Receive it, receive it. Nothing is impossible for God. Amen.